We're going to pick it up. Reuben kind of went through verse 25 last week. We're going to start again in verse 23 and read on through. Uh, eventually, by the end of, of this session, we'll go through chapter 8. So Hebrews 7, 23 through 28. And before we read, let's just lay our hands on the word of God and pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it's powerful, it's active, it's alive. We pray that today it would penetrate our hearts, our souls, our spirits. Lord, we by faith receive the engrafted word into our hearts. We uh, receive it humbly. We are in awe of our almighty God and of the fact that you want a relationship with us and that you communicate with us. Today, may we hear your voice. Would you open our ears to hear? Would you open our eyes to see? Lord, enlighten our eyes to see your truth. Speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Bring us into greater freedom, healing, wholeness, and unity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Hebrews 7, 23 says, And there were many priests, he's speaking of the Old Testament priesthood, there were many of them because they were prevented by death by continuing. So as a priest would die, another priest would take their place, and so on. But he, verse 24, Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore he is able also to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he ever lives to make intercession for them. This is the only way we can come to God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26 says, For such a high priest was fitting for us. He was suitable for us. He's holy, harmless, innocent, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens. He does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints as high priests men who have weakness, but the word of the, by the, but the, word of the oath which comes after the law appoints the Son who has been perfected forever. <clears throat> So Jesus' sacrifice of himself as a holy, innocent priest ended all need for further priests and sacrifices. Sorry, I'm having a hard time today. His atoning work is so superior to the ministry of the Jewish priests that by it, by his death on the cross, the old system became obsolete and was replaced by his eternal and perfect priesthood. And this morning in the gathering following our class today, we're going to be celebrating communion, Holy Supper, and we will be acknowledging the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross. And we'll have an opportunity to partake of that, of his body and of his blood. So I pray that as we go through this today, it'll become very real to us here and very real to us there as we partake of communion together. So starting now in chapter 8, verse 1, we're going to read 1 and 2. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty 
in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. He's referring to the tabernacle of Moses. And he said, Jesus is the high priest of the true tabernacle that God erected. And he's seated right now at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. So what happens when we realize that we need a savior? We realize that we are sinners. We've got to have a relationship with God, and we can only do that through Jesus. So, you know, we all prayed a similar prayer at that point. We said, Lord Jesus, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I confess my sin before you. I need a Savior. I need a Messiah. And you're the only one that can unite me with the Father. Would you please come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? And would you take over the management of my life and be my Lord? Now, um, does Jesus actually come in? Well, you know, the Godhead is three persons. There's the Father who sits on the throne. There's Jesus the Son who sits next to him on the throne. And then there's the Holy Spirit who broods over the earth, who's involved in our lives here. It's actually the Holy Spirit who comes into our lives. Jesus does not leave his throne and move into us individually. But he sends the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit does come, and he unites with us. His Spirit unites with our spirit, and we come alive. Our spirit comes alive. We're born again, and from then on, we have access to the Father because of the blood of Jesus. So I'm just mentioning that because sometimes we make it so, we kind of water it down. We say, well, just accept Jesus, and he, he comes into your life. And we need to cover all the bases you know we need to confess our sin we need to repent of our sin we need to make Jesus Lord of our lives and we need to realize it's the Holy Spirit that moves into our lives because that is what the the word of God says and we want to be true to the word so the Holy Spirit's mentioned again later in this chapter we're going to get there verse 3 says for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices I want you to notice that It's the use of the present tense here, is appointed. And this is a further indication that the book of Hebrews was written while the temple was still intact. So it was written before 70 AD because in 70 AD, the temple was utterly destroyed. Jerusalem was razed to the ground and all the believers had, all the the apostles had fled prior to that. Many other believers fled at that point. Many were martyred at that point. So, um, but during this time, the temple was still intact. So he said, every high priest is appointed. And then let's go on. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, Jesus, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, God said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. So the pattern for the tabernacle that Moses built was given by God, It looked forward to a future reality when Jesus Christ would be the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. 
So when we were discussing just now, Reuben and I were saying to each other, you know, why is it that God started with a lesser covenant, you know? But we were reminding ourselves that when God created Adam and Eve, he wanted an intimate relationship with them. And they had an intimate relationship until they sinned. And then God chose the nation of Israel, and he took the Jews out of Egypt. He called them to himself, and it says in in Exodus 19, I brought you out of Egypt. I've brought you into the wilderness. I've led you forth on eagle's wings, and I want to make you a holy priesthood to myself, that you will be my special treasure above all the other peoples of the earth. So he was choosing an entire nation to be his people, and we know they blew it. They, they were unfaithful in the wilderness. They complained, they criticized, they, they tempted God with their unbelief. And so then later God chose one tribe, the tribe of Levi, to be his priesthood. And he set the tribe of Levi apart. He said all the other tribes, they will get land as an inheritance. But the tribe of Levi, I, the Lord your God, am your inheritance. You belong to me. I belong to you. We've got a special relationship. So he had it with Adam and Eve. He wanted it with the whole tribe, with all the Israelis. Then he got it with the, the tribe of Levi, but they too failed in their role. And then God came up with the new covenant. When the time was perfect, he sent his own son to be the Messiah so that all of us could enter the new covenant of God and have the relationship with him that he has always wanted. He's always wanted a holy priesthood. He's always wanted a people for himself, a special treasure. And that's who we are. He wants that with us. And we want that with him. We want to be able to hear his voice. We want to know his leading. We want to feel his love. We want to know that we belong to him, that we are of a, we are a holy people. We're a special generation set apart for his purposes. So that's where we are now. And as we in, we start reading verse 12, no, we're going to start, sorry, verse 7. It says, if the first covenant, he's speaking about the covenant that God cut with the Israelites. And he says, if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Now, when you read the Old Testament, normally in the uh, Gentile world, we call this the Old Testament. But in the Jewish world, they call it the Bible because that's the full Bible to them. They don't have the New Testament. And so they referred to it. And, and so in Israel, we refer to it as the old covenant because that was the first covenant God made. This is a covenant book, the old covenant. And then Jesus came, shed his blood on the cross and established a new covenant and that's the New Testament. And so the terms we use in Israel is Old Covenant and New Covenant rather than Testament. And it really helps you understand the whole, the whole greater picture of the covenants of God. So verse 8, it says, Finding fault with them, he says, and this is a quote from Jeremiah 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. So it's a prophetic work of the second covenant to come. 
I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. And I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. So he's speaking prophetically of the new covenant of which we are in. So this passage compares the old covenant with the new covenant. The old covenant was the covenant of law between God and Israel. There are 16, I'm sorry, 613 laws in the old covenant that the Jews were to obey. And that sounds like a lot to us, and that is a lot. The new covenant sometimes is um, there's more to obey. You know, from the Sermon on the Mount, remember Jesus said, you've heard that it was said you shall not kill, but I say to you, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You've heard it said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever lusts after a woman in her heart has already committed adultery with her. You know, so Jesus really was lifting the standard. This is what God said in the Old Covenant, but his purpose and intent behind that was so that you would be a people whose heart is connected to God, where you don't even hate anyone. You don't lust after anyone. So you keep these laws because you've got a heart connection with God. The Old Covenant made with the Jewish people, the house of Israel, was entirely external. It gave laws for behavior, but it did not give them the power to keep the laws. In the new covenant, as we see the difference here in verse 10, he says, The covenant I will make, I will put my laws in their minds. And in their hearts, the new and better way is the covenant of grace, where Jesus provided for the forgiveness of our sins and our reconciliation to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So he gives us the power to obey him. This is where the Holy Spirit comes in. When the Holy Spirit is united with our spirits, he takes up residence in our lives when we're born again. He gives us the power to obey the word of God. He gives us the power to have a relationship of obedience with the Father. So because of this relationship with the Holy Spirit and because of the blood of Jesus, we can know God the Father personally, not just from a distance, not just as a commandment-giving God, but as a deep covenant relationship that we can have with Him. In the New Testament, in the New Covenant, God mercifully refuses to call to mind our sins and our lawless deeds. As the scripture says, we'll read it again next week in uh, Hebrews 9, there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And Jesus became that sacrifice forever. He shed his blood once, and that was for all sin, for all time, all the past, all the present, and all the future. The blood of Jesus is enough for all sin. His sacrifice satisfied all the requirements of the law. He paid our penalty. He offers a new way to forgiveness, not through animal sacrifice, but through faith in his atoning work. And uh, there's a couple of scriptures we could look at. The only one I want to mention is 1 Corinthians 11:25, 25. 
And it says, Jesus took the cup after supper. Remember, he was having the Passover supper the last time with his disciples. He was betrayed right after that. The trial took place, and within a day or two, he was crucified. So this is right at the end of his life on earth. It says, he took the cup after supper. He lifted up the cup, and he said, this is the new covenant, the cup of the new covenant in my blood. So the new covenant is ratified in the blood of Jesus. The new covenant is also new in extent. It goes beyond the house of Israel, which was the northern kingdom of Israel, and the house of Judah, which was the southern kingdom of Israel. You often see them mentioned together. And we see that, again, even here, we saw it somewhere here in this passage um, here, verse 8, he says, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. The reason that was spoken of that way is because the two houses were divided uh, through some of the wars in the Old Testament. It became a house of Israel was in the northern kingdom, and the house of Judah was where Jerusalem is and on down. That's the southern kingdom. So the new covenant is not just for them. It goes beyond the houses of Israel to include all the non-Jewish nations. So that includes all of us. Called often in scripture as Gentiles, what we would probably say today more commonly is the non-Jews or people that are not Jewish. And here's a couple of scriptures for that. Isaiah 49, 6, this is a prophecy of the Messiah to come. And it says, it is too small a thing that you, Jesus, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, to the nations, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. It's too small a thing that you would just be the Messiah for the Jews. I will give you as the Messiah to all the people all over the earth, every nation to the ends of the earth. Aren't you glad? Man, I'm so glad. I think in our room here today, we only have two that I know of that have Jewish blood. The rest of us are the, the engrafted in, the Gentiles. And then Psalm 2, verse 7 and 8, this is another messianic prophecy. It says, the Lord, speaking of Elohim, Adonai, the Lord God Almighty, said to me, Jesus, you are my son. I love that this is in the Old Testament. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. And Jesus did ask of him. He died on our behalf. And he has asked of the Father to have the nations. And as you read the book of Revelation, you see that it says, from people from every tribe, from every nation, are worshiping God in heaven before the throne. And it's all because of Jesus. This is actually a good verse to pray. Sometimes I pray this as I walk our neighborhood and I say, Lord, you said we could ask for Jesus to inherit the nations. And today I'm asking that Jesus would inherit this neighborhood, that everyone that lives in our neighborhood would be part of his inheritance. They will know his salvation. They'll come into a relationship with him. I ask of you, Father, to give to Jesus, your son, an inheritance right here in my neighborhood. So there's so many scriptures we can pray, and that's a good one to pray as you're 
praying for people or for nations or cities or your own neighborhood even. Okay, verse 10, let's reread that. This is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind to write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So in the new covenant, it's not just new in extent. It's not just new to, to build on the old. It's also new because God's law is now inside us. It's no longer just an external set of rules and principles. The Holy Spirit within us reminds us of the Lord's words he influences our motives and desires. He guides our actions. He wants us to be holy, and he enables us to be holy, to be set apart for God. God's will is something we want to do once we're born again. We want to obey the Lord. I love how it says of the Messiah in Psalm 40. He says, I have come to do your will, O God, in the volume of the book it is written of me. I have come. This is the sacrifice you want. I have come. And that should be true of all of us. We have come to do his will. And we have sacrificed our lives. We've given them over to him, the one who sacrificed his life for us. With a new heart, because God gives us a new heart when we're born again, we find serving God to be our greatest joy. Don't we? Don't we just love to serve the Lord? And then verse 13, let's read the last verse of this chapter. In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first covenant obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. We've mentioned a few times and we probably continue to mention the fact that this book was written to the Jewish believers in probably in Rome or in Italy that were fearing persecution. The Christians were already being persecuted for their faith under Nero, and the Jews were afraid of the persecution. Those who already believed in Jesus and had transferred out of Judaism to join the believing community, and they saw the Christians were being persecuted, so they were being tempted to go back to Judaism, to renounce their faith in Jesus, to save their skin so that they, they would not be persecuted and martyred for their faith. And so um, he's writing again here, this whole chapter is that too. He's saying, don't go back to the old covenant. We're in a new covenant now. God has put his laws and principles. He's written it in, in your hearts and on your minds. The old is passing away. The old is obsolete. We're in a new covenant. Don't go back to the old Reuven and I at one point were praying with a lady in, um, in Israel who uh, was a believer from America. She was Methodist in America, knew the Lord personally, came to Israel for uh, temporarily, I think she was volunteering with some ministry, and she... Um, she so wanted to stay in Israel, and she couldn't because her visa ran out, had to return to America. But she so wanted to live in Israel, plus she was in love with an, a Jewish believer who lived in Israel. That, that made it confusing. Uh, that when she came back to America, she became Jewish. She, um, she converted to Judaism. And in her mind, she thought, it's okay, I still believe in Jesus. 
you know, it's, I'm not doing anything wrong. I believe in Jesus. I know he's the Messiah, but I'm going to walk through this path of conversion so that I can live in Israel because to live full time in Israel without a visa, you have to be Jewish. And so some people do convert whether or not they know the Lord. People just convert because they want to live in Israel. And she was one who, who was a Christian, but converted to Judaism. And I tell you, her whole countenance was different when she came back. She was under oppression. Uh, she fought deception. She had no joy. She had no peace. And she finally sat down with Reuven and I, and she said, what's wrong with me? I feel like I, I'm having a hard time understanding the scripture. I'm having a hard time in prayer. I, I don't have the peace I used to have. I don't have the walk with God I used to have. What happened? And we said, you've gone back under the old covenant. And you've come under the curse of the old covenant. Because in the old covenant, if you didn't keep the law, you were cursed. And you've come back under that. You've come under an old law. And now you are oppressed by that law, by the curses that are associated with it. And the spirit of unbelief has now gotten a foothold in your life. That's why you can't walk with God now. And she said, well, yeah, but I didn't mean it. <laughs> I didn't mean it. And she said, the, the, the rabbi never actually said, are you denying Jesus? So she said, I never actually answered that question. I never really had to. And I never denied him in my heart. We, we said, but you have denied him. You've converted. You've left and you've come under an old system. It's like you're married to a new, your second partner, and you, you leave them and you go back to the first, but you're actually still married to the same. You know, it's, it confuses everything. And we, we had to, to not only lead her in prayers of repentance and forgiveness, which she did. Once we could convince her, she said, you're right. I, I Man, I made a major mistake here. Would you help me? Would you help me get right with God? And so we led her in the prayers of repentance and forgiveness. We had to pray deliverance over her. She had come under the influence of evil spirits having done that. But the Lord did set her free. And she's free today. She's walking with the Lord. She's at peace. She's got joy. She's back to where she was because God in his mercy, according to verse 12, he was merciful to her unrighteousness and did not remember her lawless deeds just like he does not for us. You know, when we are born again and we experience the mercy and grace of God, that's the first time we experience it. But for the rest of our lives, we're experiencing and walking in the mercy and the grace of God. And God's grace is just as good today as it was when we were born again. And that's important for us to remember because, you know, sometimes as believers we say, man, how could, I have, how could I have done this? I knew the Lord. I know the Lord. How could I have made this mistake? How could I have made this, this decision? And we, we come under such condemnation and we're not reflecting back on the fact that the grace of God is still good for today. The mercy of God is still good for today. And we can call on that, we can take a hold of that, and we can walk in victory and peace and joy and be forgiven of our sin today just as we were when we were first saved. Okay, so the author of Hebrews was reminding them that the new covenant is better than the old covenant. It's established on better principles, better promises. So what about you? Let's take it to home a little bit here. Are you trusting in good works 
and in keeping external laws to save you rather than the blood of Jesus. Have you humbly received God's grace? And are you still walking in that grace and mercy? Or have you returned to trusting in good works? And that's what it looks like when we think his mercy isn't enough for me now because I'm a believer, I should not have sinned. Then we're trusting again in our good works. Yeah, Bob. Good, good word, thank you. Okay, so let's evaluate ourselves for a little bit. This, is, this, this veers off just a little bit. I'm picking up on verse 13 where he says, what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Is there anything we are doing now that might be spiritually ineffective or obsolete? Is there anything you're doing in your life that's spiritually ineffective or obsolete. You know, we tend to get into ruts in our walk with the Lord, and we can neglect the things that encourage our spiritual growth. Are you engaging in activities that do not enhance your relationship with Jesus? And are you neglecting activities that will strengthen your faith and your walk with him? such as fasting, prayer, praise, meditating on the word, any of the spiritual disciplines? Are you neglecting anything that could help you in your walk with the Lord? One of the things that struck me in our recent trip, ministry trip to Finland last month is, is after we were sharing the word, a number of the people would come up and say, this has been a wake-up call for me. I had drifted away. I wasn't engaging in activities where I was growing in the Lord anymore. I was just, I became complacent, and I began to compromise, and I haven't been having time with the Lord, and this is a wake-up call. I'm getting right with God, and I'm going to strengthen my faith, and I'm going to move forward in my walk with Him. Here's another question. Are you walking in an old vision when God wants to do something new with you? Maybe whatever God has said to you or called you to do, you have done that, it's come to pass, and now he's speaking new things to you. Are you willing to let go of the old, which is comfortable, the Isaac you already know, to embrace the Israel, the true son of God, the, the, uh, the Ishmael that you already know to em embrace the Isaac? We need to be willing to trade in the old for the new that God has for us. God's always doing new things. He's not static. He's a dynamic God. And he often is starting new things in our lives. And, and maybe what you've been walking in has grown old. And if you feel a certain restlessness inside, that, that's a sign that that could be happening. And I would encourage you to spend extra time with the Lord because the way you navigate change is to be in his presence. And as you're in his presence, he can speak to you. What are the new things that he has for you? Don't keep walking in an old vision. You know, we prune trees so that there's fresh life that comes. We have to cut away the old that used to bear life because there's new life. 
And let's read verse 11 again. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the east of them to the, the least of them to the greatest of them. God wants to be known by all of us. And in the new covenant, we're reconciled to him and his laws are written on our hearts and minds. We can know him intimately and personally. Hosea 6.3 says, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. Let's keep growing in our knowledge of him. Philippians 3.10 in the Amplified Version says this. Paul said, my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may become progressively more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly, and that I may in that same way come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, and that I may so share his sufferings as to be continually transformed into his likeness, even to his death. I love that first part, my determined purpose is that I may intimately know him progressively we don't just want to know about the Lord we don't want to just hear about him we want to know him and understand him ourselves through personal interaction and the new covenant opens the way for us to have that vibrant personal relationship with the living almighty God and it says in Jeremiah 9 23 and 24 don't glory in your wisdom don't glory in your might don't glory in your riches glory in this that you know and understand the Lord that he exercises loving kindness righteousness and justice in the earth for these are the things he delights in that's what we are to glory in that we know him that we understand him Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much for setting in order the new covenant, for sending your son to die in our place. Thank you, Jesus, for coming. Thank you for living a perfect life, an innocent, sinless life, and then paying our penalty with your own blood. Lord, we, we thank you, we bless you, we love you. We want to walk in this new covenant. We don't want to have just entered in. We want to walk on progressively becoming more intimately acquainted with you. We do want to know you, Father. Pray your blessing on your people today. Bless us as we, as we meet with you at the communion table today. I pray to be significant in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.